The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. This is Squawkbox in the headlines. A choppy trade on Wall Street after a divided Fed cuts rates by a quarter point for the second time in a decade, but fails to give a clear picture about its future plans. This is a time of difficult judgments, and as you can see, uh, disparate perspectives. And as I, I really do think, uh, that's nothing but healthy. And um, so. Uh, I, I see a benefit in having those diverse perspectives. Uh, meanwhile, really. President Trump hurls more insults at the central bank, saying it has no guts and no vision. Uh, but later, walks back those comments, calling the decision fine. The Bank of Japan keeps monetary policy steady, but hints new stimulus measures may come as soon as its next meeting in October. Saudi Arabia claims drone and missile debris prove that Iran's role in the attacks on its oil supply, while U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo calls the strike an act of war. So very good morning, everybody. Let's focus on this Federal Reserve announcement then. It is the major event for the month, possibly for the year, depending on what exactly we hear about. The Federal Reserve has cut interest rates by 25 basis points as expected and indicated rates could remain at the same level by the end of 2020. The central bank's projections are more hawkish than anticipated as analysts had predicted two more cuts by the end of next year. The number of dissenters also grew to three, including St. Louis Fed President James Bullard, Kansas City's Esther George and Boston's Eric Rosengren. Fed Chair Jerome Powell called the economic outlook favourable, but added a more extensive sequence of cuts could be appropriate if things worsen. Powell also said the central bank may resume the expansion of its balance sheet. We've always said uh, that it's un- that the level is uncertain, right? We've and and that's something we've tried to be very clear about, and. Um, as you know, we've invested lots of time uh, talking to many of the large holders of reserves to assess their de- what they say is their demand for reserves. We tried to assess what that is. We've tried to combine all that together. We put it out so the public can react to it. Um, but yes, there's real uncertainty, and it, it is certainly possible that we will need to resume the organic growth of the balance sheet earlier than we thought. It, that's, that's always been a possibility, and it certainly is now. Jay Powell there. No guts, no sense, no vision. That's how President Trump described Powell and the central bank following the announcement. He also called the Fed chair, quote, a terrible communicator. 
<laughs> well, with all due respect to the great online social media communicator that POTUS is, and we know he is, yeah. to go from no guts, no vision, no sense, was it to actually I'm fine? How? What kind of communication is that? If that's not a mixed message, an opaque, foggy message, then I don't know what it is. Well, look, and one thing that Jeff's Reed didn't add in there as well is when you listed through your dissenters, you went from Rosengren to Esther George uh, to Bullard. What you didn't mention, and I know you would have done had you written this yourself, was the fact that they were dissenting in opposite directions. You got Bullard who dissented because he wanted 50 basis point cuts, cementing his position as the uber dove, the friend of the markets. You got Esther George and Eric Rosengren who wanted 25 basis point increase as well. Now, that's my first issue of the day. My second is your use of that uh, adjective choppy, a chop, choppy trade as you called it as well. Because was it choppy? I thought it was quite calm. I looked at my chart just now just to confirm my S&P chart and it showed a big tick downwards, then a big tick up. And I thought, oh, it is a choppy trade. But it wasn't that choppy because I looked at the end of it on my uh, Y axis, which showed actually that it went down to 29.86 and got up to 3,006. 20 point move on the S&P. Uh, given this is, as you say, the biggest rate decision potentially of the year, Small fry. So actually, actually, I would disagree entirely. I would say it was actually really calm stuff. The fact is the market wanted more. As you say, it wants all these rate cuts by the end of next year. What it's got at the moment is the promise of absolutely nothing. Nothing by the end of next year. 1.875 is where they're still calling it in the mean on the average by the end of next year. Yeah, there are some who think it's going to be two plus and some who think it's going to be lower. I think it was 555, but obviously there's only 10 voting members. Uh, so it's still a very opaque picture. The market's lessened its bet a little bit. Should we move on to whatever the next board is? Treasuries, that's it. The market's lessened its bet a little bit to uh, expecting 60 basis points of cuts uh, by the end of that next year period. But it's still the market versus the Fed as far as I'm concerned. Yield on the 10-year, just holding pretty steady, 1.78. The two-year, 1.756. We've got the dollar crosses coming up now as well. Again, I thought it was really calm. I thought the market reaction, I'll let you scan across those without me. In fact, no, I better say them because you might be on the uh, podcast. Uh, 1.1037 euro dollar, brave new world. Uh, euro dollar versus the Japanese yen, 107.88. The pound versus the dollar, uh, 124.77, despite the fact the inflation figures were awful. Uh, and US dollar versus the Swissy, 0.9964. So to surmise, I would say... Choppy, but within a tiny range. Karen. Just pick up on your point around communication. We had a, a headline story on CNBC.com before the Fed decision. And effectively, I was quoting an economist in the markets saying that big chance of power underwhelming. Uh, effectively, that the market wanted more served up in the rate decision yesterday, more of a um, timeline on rate cuts, but it was probably not going to get it. So what? Number one business channel in the world tells you that Fed will underwhelm in session. So... Communication isn't misplaced. You've got to say it hit the mark because we knew, we communicated based on what economists were telling us, that the, the chance that power and underwhelm was very strong. So what did we get? Exactly that. So communication is bang on, you've I got to say, in many well, ways. Look, last time around, mid-cycle adjustment, the market, whoa, we don't like that. What do you mean mid-cycle adjustment? And it got all funny about it. This time around, they kind of got the message, didn't they? Well, a couple of things going on. Surely Powell is demonstrating to POTUS 
that he is his own man and that the Fed will do what it feels is appropriate based on the data. And quite frankly, the data is not clear on whether the recession is looming. And the housing starts number was just one of those pieces of information that suggests that there is still life in the US consumer. Maybe it's not time to go full Mario Draghi, we will do whatever it takes. This is a more measured Fed response. And you could see clearly the president didn't like it very much. Uh, reflective, though, I think you've got to say of when many of the market participants are around the data and what the economy has been signaling. I just want to take you to more reaction because oil very much in focus after the events on the weekend in Saudi Arabia. And you've seen a lot of give back in the price, particularly yesterday. Energy uh, suffering across the board, down about 2 percent on the trade around spot prices this morning. Just ticking up a little bit and the latest uh, news flow has been the blame game still uh, really focused around the role of Iran in these attacks. So a quarter of a percent high in WTI, one of the bigger moves you're seeing there. Also a bit in the, in the price for gold as we march up closer to that 1500 mark. We've been above there on the safety trade, back under it as well. But you can see this morning, uh, just inclined higher. The Asian markets reaction too to the Fed. And don't forget, these markets were shut yesterday as all the news flow started to break. On top of that, we've got the Bank of Japan today and effectively staying steady on monetary policy. There'd been some quarters of the market that were wondering if we would see more from the BOJ this time round, but it has signalled that there's potential for more policy action at the October meeting, warning about the risks uh, threatening the economy. A lot of these external risks very much show what the Fed is also dealing with around the trade war. 20,070 on the Nikkei, uh, half of a percent higher. Bit of movement too uh, to witness in the yen and in the trade today. But elsewhere you can see slightly negative trade for the Hong Kong market versus elsewhere down one and a quarter percent. And uh, the other markets uh, fairly flat for China. Australia ticking high by six tens. A very mixed reaction across those Asian markets. The opening calls, uh, let's just take a look at how Europe is set up for the trading session. Patch of green for the Italian market. Red arrows across the board for the rest of the European markets. But I just point out, it's been very calm here in Europe as well. There's not been much in the trade for the last couple of sessions. We've been inclined just a little bit weaker than we were inclined a little bit higher yesterday. So uh, I think we're waiting for a few more signals from somewhere, from the central bank, whether the CECB, the Fed, that didn't I think, deliver much for European markets yesterday. So... We'll look for uh, some more cues. Now, meanwhile, the New York Fed will conduct another repo operation today to, quote, help maintain the federal funds rate within the target range of 1.75% and 2%. The Fed initiated its first operation in more than a decade on Tuesday and Wednesday. Today's move will see the central bank inject $75 billion into the banking system. Steve Leesman asked Fed Chair Powell whether he was concerned about a liquidity crunch. We don't see this as having any implications for the broader economy or for the economic outlook, nor for our ability to control rates. The strains in the money markets reflect uh, forces that we saw coming, and they just had a bigger effect than I think most folks uh, anticipated. We took appropriate actions uh, to address those pressures, to keep the Fed funds rate within the target range, and those measures were successful. If we experience another episode of pressures in money markets, we have the tools to address those pressures. We will not hesitate to use them. Uh, Double Line Capital CEO Jeffrey Gundlach explained to CNBC why the risk of a recession before the 2020 election has increased now. The economic data has gotten a little bit better, yet I still think when we put it all together, when we look at all of our indicators for recession, it seems that there is an increasing uh, probability of recession before the 2020 election. What happens historically is the curve inverts well before a recession. And I've heard many guests on CNBC over the past several months point out this fact correctly, that the curve inverts well in advance of the front edge of the recession. But what people don't understand is that 
when the recession is getting to be close to your doorstep, the curve actually steepens out because the Fed gets the joke finally that they're behind the curve and they need to cut interest rates more. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, good luck there with uh, his view. And he still thinks, obviously, that we're heading towards recession and what the Fed has done at this point hasn't changed things. Just back to the choppy. Just uh, just remind viewers that that everyone who says something on this channel, and I know it's almost disingenuous to say so, but everyone who puts a view on this channel has got a position in the market probably as well. Yes. And Jeffrey Gundlach will be no exception as well. So when, with all due respect, I just think it's the necessary caveat to say, when Mr Gundlach says something, he's probably backing his position and trying to get other people to back his position. Yes. So that's what I'm saying. It's not a disinterested party. So back to the choppy, because um, you fascinated me by taking on the headline um, that our team popped up A choppy up trade. Um, and as you point out, you know, when you look at the volatility around the headline equity markets, maybe cool. that's not the story. But the fact that we've had three days of intervention on the on the repo rate is very interesting. And I, I just wonder whether we should do a duty of care here for our audience and just remind them that sometimes where you're looking and where you're expecting to see the reaction is not necessarily where you need to be looking at this point. And the fact that, uh, what do we get? On Thursday, the New York uh, Fed will offer up to $75 billion in so-called overnight repurchase agreement operations. I think just a reminder, there are things going on here in other parts of the financial plumbing that do warrant your attention. And we'll have a lot of people come across this desk or say, it's technical, it's technical, because they don't really understand why this is important, but it does raise questions about liquidity. Still, in spite of what we've learned from the Fed in um, the last 24 hours. Just one more for me, and Karen's champing to get in as well. If if this was such great ramifications, then surely the algos, and indeed the props or the hedges or whoever it may well be, the people are supposed to be ahead of the curve, Surely they'd be buying some form of volatility. Surely they'd be buying the VIX, which I'll just give you some numbers. The VIX trades at 13.95. Now, I need to give you context on that because it doesn't mean anything to you. The VIX trades at 13.95. That was down yesterday 3.4% on the back of all these concerns in the market. Month to date, it's down 26.5% the VIX. Quarter to date, the VIX is down 7.5%. Year to date, the VIX is down 45.12%. If there was something going on, and I no doubt you're right that you know there are concerns, whether it's plumbing or whether it is actually something more meaningful as well, surely someone out there would be buying the VIX. And trust me, it doesn't take much to move the VIX heavily in one direction or other. It does have spells of great liquidity, but it's just an option. It's just the most active traded option on the near month that's you know pretty near much at the money, the ATM. And so you'd assume you'd assume this would be moving if people were worried. I know we're all trying to jump at shadows because we feel like there might be one big black swan event that could tank the markets at some point, but uh, central bank's pretty good at dealing with liquidity after the financial crisis. So for me, it's not the clear and, and present danger necessarily, and I could be wrong. But I want to just go to the market moves and what we do now on the back of the Fed because, you know, you've mentioned the dissenters, and that was just of the voting members. If you look at the dot plot, a, a wider a take of what the Fed members believe you've got a very split decision making yesterday effectively seven members now expecting a third rate cut five seeing the current rate cut as the last for this year then there were five who seem to have been against the move that we had yesterday so as an investor you need to make a decision as to whether you think there are more rate comings more rate cuts coming none at all or you know whether it was a wrong move to be cutting rates 
So where do you put your money at this point? And the only clear trend I think starting to emerge has been that perhaps yields were too low, they'd moved too far south on uh, some extraordinary measures that many had expected. But it's not very clear then what you do on the back of that when it comes to stock trades because there's been a noisy old market out there with oil this week. It's been very high. It's been lower one. that The uh, victims of that has been the consumer discretionary index. So I think it's, it's quite hard then to work out which quarters of the market you want to be invested in. So I would almost say watch this space as the dust settles a little bit because Actually, the next week is going to be quite important quite for many investors. Opportunity. Just in, in the pricey, some up, some down, some staying where it is from the central bank. Overall projections not change. Less rate movement whether it's up or down, projected by the end of 2020. So what we're saying is, actually, we're getting very little from the central bank in terms of catalyst to buy or sell uh, and very little excitement coming from central banks who always try to be the men in the shadows mm-hmm. and keep it very quiet. Men and women in the shadows, I should be equal handed here. So the point is, the market has to look for clues elsewhere or whether to buy or sell. And surely that has to come from the companies themselves. Surely it has to come from where they're moving their money. And well, buybacks, for instance. Buybacks. Not just companies. We were saying this yesterday. Unfortunately, at this point, the central bank does not have all the the evidence it needs to make policy so, decision. So That's around trade war. Less of a story if it's, if well, it's sitting on the fence. It means the bit. market could move more aggressively first before the central bank gets to make its decisions. And trade war, obviously, reading the tea leaves about so any decision on trade is very, very take important. Its move from the markets, whereas what we started off talking today is the markets taking the move from the central bank. I'm not banks. taying its cues from the markets, but I'm saying the markets might get the information first ahead of the next Fed meeting, where it gets to digest and make a decision based on what it's hearing out of Washington on a trade decision. The signals that it's seeing on data, I think the market might get to move first this time around in particular. I mean, I think you're making really good points. And I think the problem is that as our audience then looks to the markets, and we've got a great guest on this, Francesco uh, Curta will join us uh, to talk about his croaky style of investing. And, and, And the message is, couldn't be clearer in his notes about how he feels about the underlying fundamentals. I mean, we're talking at a macro level about the central banks responding to liquidity issues and whether they've got the interest rate level right for the glide path of the economy. He goes to the nuts and bolts of corporate earnings right now, and his message is that the price is the wrong price, Mm. given the return on equity that we're currently seeing in the marketplace. And he goes on to say, uh, diving equity prices and a slowdown seem inevitable to him, given the current global slowdown he believes is already underway. And he refers to the single digit expansion we're seeing in revenue growth for most companies. So that's relatively weak compared to where we've come from. And the point about capex i think is well taken if companies feel that there's a brighter future tomorrow we'd expect to see capex increasing and it isn't increasing it continues to fall at this the point the problem with that scenario is that it does not bake in to the assumptions what could happen down the track if there happened to be a trade deal and again we might be hanging a hat on something that may never happen and that is a point when you try and assess what the earnings should be but if you look at the earnings for 2019 a lot of it has been very much driven by the economic growth story in the United States, how, how fast that growth story is, how slow it is. So if you get a pickup in the pace of growth in the US because of there's some confidence coming for some factor, then you get better earnings on the back of it. So at this stage, he's saying the earnings are not strong enough to justify the number. But what if you get 
a trade deal, then surely those earnings start to pick up. So what I'm saying is you've got to be dynamic at this point because you don't have all the evidence in front Just of you and the facts could change. Thing, and this is a very dangerous thing to say in September and October, which are historically two of the most volatile months of the year. Market sensitivity at the moment, it's gone a bit dormant, isn't it? Sensitivity to what we saw yesterday. Again, I, I stand by the fact I don't think the market behaved irrationally at all. I thought it behaved very well yesterday and it was not that choppy. The second point is sensitivity to the issue you just mentioned about the trade war. We heard in the last 48 hours that there may or may not be a deal before the 2020 election. Now, there was a time not so long ago, let's say, oh, I don't know, a couple of days ago, where the market might have gone absolutely crazy to the downside on thinking there wouldn't be a trade resolution till after the presidential elections. Bearing in mind the huge sensitivity we've seen on it uh, in recent days to comments from Mr. Cudlow, Mr. Mnuchin, Mr. Lighthizer, and of course, Mr. Trump as well. So market sensitivity has just been turned down a little bit in the last few days. Again, and I'll add my volatility indicator being low to that as well. That is a very dangerous thing for this time of year. Okay, we've got to move on, I think. Uh, We'll come back to the conversation. Uh, Your view's always welcome. You can get to us through the Twitter account, of course. Uh, Coming up on the programme, Saudi Arabia unveils what it calls undeniable evidence. Iran-sponsored weekend attacks on its oil supply. If you just can't get enough of Sporkbox, be sure to tune in for our very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Have a listen and download today's episode. For our listeners out there, stick around for some more. CNBC Signature Event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nansha, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors, and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. Saudi Arabia's defense ministry says there is, quote, undeniable evidence that Iran sponsored weekend strikes on two oil facilities. A spokesperson made the claims as the kingdom displayed drone and missile parts found at the attack sites. NBC News has not verified that claim. Iran has denied any involvement in the assault. An Iranian advisor to Hassan Rouhani said the Saudis' press conference proved Riyadh, quote, knows nothing. The U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, described the attacks as, quote, an act of war as he arrived in Saudi Arabia. Pompeo met the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman in Jeddah, where the two men discussed the recent strikes. NBC's Andrew Mitchell filed this report on the latest developments. This UAV is Iranian. Tonight, Saudi Arabia showing the world what it says is evidence Iran launched the attacks on the Saudi oil fields. Debris from cruise missiles and drones. Iran denies it. But Secretary of State Pompeo in Saudi Arabia is calling it an act of war, saying U.S. intelligence now has high confidence it was an Iranian attack. President Trump's response today, more economic sanctions against Iran, but not military action. Their options are a lot less than that, and we'll see. We're in a very powerful position. Right now, we're in a very, very powerful position. But sanctions alone are not tough enough for the president's top Senate ally. If they don't pay a price for bombing a neighbor's oil fields, 
then all hell is going to break out in the Mideast. Pompeo and the Saudi leader, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, are trying to rally a coalition to counter Iran diplomatically. Why would the Saudis not strike back themselves? Experts say they're vulnerable. The cruise missiles and drones got past Saudi air defenses, including six U.S.-made Patriot missile systems, costing a billion dollars each. Any Saudi strike against Iran would trigger a counterattack. This is not something we want to go to war over. Uh, the Iranians don't want to go to war with us. We don't want to go to war with Iran. I don't think the Saudis want to go to war with the Iranians. The U.S. has already crippled Iran's economy, but now it could crack down on Iran's black market oil sales to Syria and China. NBC's Andrea Mitchell with that report. The head of the Federal Aviation Administration, Steve Dickinson, has vowed he will not certify the return of Boeing's grounded 737 MAX until he flies the plane himself. The comments come on the eve of Dickinson's trip to Boeing's facilities outside of Seattle, where he will be briefed on software updates to the 737 MAX flight control system. Meanwhile, Boeing's rival Airbus has raised its 20-year guidance for aircraft delivery. Airbus uh, CCO uh, Christian Scherer spoke to CNBC on the effect of the US-China trade war, saying it is just a blip in the long-term growth of the industry. We hope this uh, trade tension will be short-lived, but by and large, our forecast says that we see continued growth pretty much at the same pace than we've experienced over the last few years. Uh, so again, we, we hope the trade tension will be short-lived and nothing but a blip in the long-term growth of this industry. Staying with airlines but moving to the operators, Hadley spoke to Emirates President Sir Tim Clark about the future of large-scale orders. Up until about 2006, 2007, this was the era of the mega orders. Everybody was very bullish, very confident, driven by what was happening in the global economy. Since then, it's been a different story. Emirates has continued. I mean, we ordered in 2013 50 more 380s. We ordered the 777Xs. So I think this was possibly the last of the huge orders. And in that time, you've seen demand for the uh, wide bodies, whether they be quads or fall off a little bit. So I don't see... Um, in this air show or others, huge orders going down at this point in time. Are you going still miss? be a great air show? Don't forget. Is air travel getting decidedly less glamorous with the announcement that they're going to discontinue that aircraft? I mean, how do you see air travel trending? I, I think you have a range of aircraft coming out, whether it be the seven 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 X. All right, 350, the 787, they are smaller aircraft. Will anything be as good as the 380? No. In my view, that's going to be a hard ask. And in the end, the type of aircraft that the manufacturers are producing today are still very comfortable. Um, perhaps not as glamorous and as, as spacious as the 380, but hey-ho, that's life. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.